Hey, BTB Buddies, I got Sam Talent on the show today. I reached out to Sam after reading his book, Running the Light. Running the Light is one of my favorite novels, not just this week, this month, this year. It's one of my favorite novels. Fantastic. If you're a comedian, you definitely need to read it. But Sam is also a fantastic and unique comedian. And I tell you what, after talking to Sam, I felt like I could be a little bit more myself on stage, be a little bit freer, be a little bit more improv And I was really inspired by the conversation. Make sure to check this one out. And also check out Sam on the Chubby Behemoth podcast, which he's a part of. It's Sam Talent. It's a good one. The first thing I want to ask you is how tall are you? Uh, I used to be 6'5". I think I'm 6'4 now. Okay, so we're about the same size. We're about the same height. Oh, you're a behemoth as well. Yeah, yeah. The way I've got my camera, you really can't tell. I could be like four eight, and, and <laughs> it doesn't play, it doesn't even show. <laughs> yeah, you have a perfectly shaped skull too. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You could I be shaved the judge it. in uh, Blood Meridian if they adapted it. Yeah, thank Big you, walking man. Yeah, I um I shaved it during COVID when uh, it started looking like a comb over because I had a bald spot, so it just all came off, sure. and now it now it stays off, and I don't go to the barber. Yeah, you're lucky. You have a you have a good good head shape to be a bald guy. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So yeah. I uh, I want to talk about the book a little bit first. It, it's funny because this came out, and a lot of comedians this came out in 2020, right? Yeah, yeah. Right when COVID hit. Yeah, and a lot of comedians were talking yeah, about a new way to pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> and All I my dates evaporated. No I doubt. Like, what am I gonna do? So I put out the book. <laughs> But a lot of comedians were talking about it, and I put it on my read list, and I was um, I was rereading the Dark Tower series uh, from Stephen King. And yeah. you, if you know what that's about, it's just a lot of books. It's a lot of pages. And so then I kind of forgot about it, and then I saw it. I, I, I don't know why, but I saw it somewhere, and I was, I'm like, okay, I'm doing a lot of flying. I'm doing a lot of stuff, so let's get this book on Kindle. And yeah. I finished it in two days because— huh. I started on the plane, then I read late uh, into the evening, and then I worked, and then uh, till like two o'clock the next, two in the morning the next evening because I just couldn't put it down. Oh, thanks, man. I'm glad it uh, captured you in that way. That's very flattering. I mean, it's just it's it really sh it really shows what comedy is about, and but it also shows where you could possibly go. And, oh, yeah, yeah, and it's funny because I listened to your interview on Marin, and he said the way comedy used to be, and that's not really true because there's still the shitty dates and and the uh, um, promoters or the the um, bookers that book you and all the you know the FOPs and the and the um, uh, Roadhouse bars and all that kind of stuff that still goes on. It just, uh, yeah. I guess it's just not talked about as much. No, I mean, as long as uh, the bar needs to sell chicken tenders and Bud Light, there will always be comedy, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, I think that it's really easy to forget that, like, our main job as comedians, especially starting out, is to uh, help facilitate people purchasing food and beverage, Right. you know? It's the same way they would have, like, a darts tournament. Uh -huh. uh, we just happen to talk and need the attention of people. Yeah, those gigs are out there, man. And I don't know, I, I, you, were you ever subscribed to like, uh, it used to be like Yoder gigs and stuff, but mm -hmm. 
but then they all kind of like diversified so there's like entertainment max and like uh comedy usa yeah i'm i'm not but i know people who are and yeah, yeah. It's... so i still get the emails from them because I, I i don't i mean i don't do the gigs anymore but it's very good to be reminded of like how far you've come and where you can return to yeah when you see like uh <laughs> we need a comedian on wednesday in ogallala nebraska it's uh the gig is at noon and there's no hotel two hundred dollars <laughs> you're like oh god <laughs> oh no <laughs> and people take it <laughs> of course i mean yeah, i don't i'm not condemning those people that do but uh you, but you have to sell a lot of merch to make that gig work yeah yeah no doubt um so the idea of the book you know how did this come to you because you know it's i think everybody knows getting into it that it's about stand-up comedy and it's dark so yeah. wh wh where did where did this come to you well, i hope people know it's dark because i think some people read it expecting it to be like a laugh riot or like a comedic <laughs> memoir and then they get like three chapters in and they're like good god what yeah. happened to this poor young man <laughs> uh i don't know man i've always really liked novels i love reading uh fiction and like um I don't think that books with happy endings are good. I like a lot of like uh, truth, you know, uh -huh. I like the most like real to life characters you can get. And I've always liked the idea of characters who uh, risk a lot for very little reward, you know, mm -hmm. like a guy who like puts it all on the line to become a bare knuckle boxer for like $300. I think that the higher the stakes and the lower the reward create uh, really interesting scenarios. Uh -huh. So um, I tried to write a different thing. And the first chapter of this book was just going to be a chapter in that book. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, I can write this guy a lot easier than I can write this other stuff. And this guy just like kind of, I don't know. He took over a lot of my thoughts for a while and I just had to write it. It had to get out of there. Yeah. I mean, it really sucks you in. Did, did Billy Ray kind of suck you in? Did it put you in a bad place for a while? I think it was more like I was like uh, exercising some stuff I didn't know was inside of me, uh -huh. Not like exercising like push-ups, but like you know with like a, an old priest and a young priest in holy water, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. I I think that this fear of becoming this guy is in every comedian, uh -huh. and to try and like uh, to try and like I don't know. I, I guess I trapped him on paper so he no longer occupied that space inside of yeah. me. But yeah, he was he's scary, dude. <laughs> Man, it's you know it's a Rembrandt as far as I'm concerned as far as writing I and I'm thank I'm, you I'm gonna read it again because it just it 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 captured me like no book has it's funny I'm reading reading um Rita Rudner's uh, memoir right now and so I yeah. went from your book to that no in, in between that I read uh, Rich Schneider Rich Schneider's uh, Scheidner's uh, book um, so. I got you, I got Running the Light, then Rich Schneidner, and then Rita Rudner. So it's, yeah, it's what was the name of Rich's book? Oh you'd have to ask. It's on my Kindle. Uh yeah. it, 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 it's about a stand it, it, it's about his stand up stuff. And yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's I good. read it. Yeah. He, yeah, he re he reached out to me after he read this book and was like, Way to go. Now no one's ever gonna open my book again. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad that uh you're reading it. I liked that book. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a great book. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed, I mean, you said that Billy Ray is somebody that you don't want to get to, you don't want to be that person, but the way Billy Ray took the stage and read the room and, uh, was 
really fast on his feet. That's that's kind of you, though. Yeah, well, I mean, I, if you have to write what you know. And if this was a guy who was writing, like, perfect jokes and telling them, I don't know how to do that. Uh-huh. There's a lot of... uh there's a lot of like old school charm in like a you know a charlatanism to what I do. Uh -huh. I'm just trying to yeah. be as funny as possible, moment to moment, in the room, trying to improvise and trying to riff with the crowd. Yeah. So I don't think I could have written a guy who was a you know a very considered and meticulous joke writer. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, and also I think he had to be good. Like it, you know, you've done these kind of rooms. Like the kind of comedy that works in there is not like you know highbrow stuff. Right. You have to like double the swears and dumb it down. And I liked the idea of him like trying to exist in this uh in these kind of shows, but also like still having like you know, he he is still good at comedian. He was just, he's still good at comedy. And he once yeah. was a great comedian. So I think that that had to come through uh in order for him to be uh I don't know, a palpable character who made sense in these situations. Right. And it seems like and and I think it's the best way to explain it is he had great muscle memory and yeah. as far as his performance was concerned, no matter how fucked up he was uh, before he walked on stage, it just showed up. Yeah. And then also like when you learn to do stand up, like drunk or high or stoned, you create all those pathways in your head. Like all your neurons learn to fire uh -huh. with, uh, with those impediments in the way those chemicals kind of like fueling them. So I think that like, uh, I don't know if he was a great comedian despite or because of his addictions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can definitely, you know, you can make an argument both ways. I mean, I don't think it ever helps anyone to be like drunk or stoned up there, but uh, <laughs> I think we've all, at least I have, I've definitely like tried to find that perfect cocktail of like, okay, three beers and half a joint of Indica. Yeah. 90 minutes before the show. And I'm like the funniest I've ever been. But then you get in that like, kind of tough position where you're trying to recreate that chemical cocktail every time. Yeah. And that's impossible. And that's how you wind up uh, working in uh, Trinidad, Colorado on a Tuesday <laughs> at a BFW, you know? <laughs> I have definitely, and I think it's, I think it's my age. I've definitely made the uh, tactical error of uh, having an edible, uh, too soon before my set and i think it's gonna it's gonna kick in after or maybe just a little bit during and i'm just stupid when i get up there and uh it's yeah it's ed difficult. edibles are a landmine that we all step on man because like you could eat the exact same edible the exact same dosage but depending on like how much caffeine you've had that day mm -hmm. how much fat content was in your diet that day like you would have to recreate that experiment and control for every variable to get yeah. the exact same high every time. Because <laughs> I've definitely been like, oh, I've eaten a chibachu before I went on. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And then you're on stage sweating. And uh -huh. like, you know, you time travel. You think you've done 45 minutes. You've done 17. Uh -huh. Oh, God. What have I done? <laughs> or conversely, yeah, you thought you've done 40 or you thought you did 17. You did 45. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Time becomes uh, like taffy in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what what was it like when you started seeing these reviews from you know people like Mark Marin reaching out and stuff like that? What was it like to to get that kind of feedback? I mean, dude, the first one was Stanhope. Uh huh. Stanhope, who I've admired my entire you know before and after comedy. I think he's just the greatest. He was tweeting about it, and he was like fervent in in his uh, celebration of this book. 
And I remember being tagged on Twitter and him saying like, this is the best book I've ever read. And just like tears, man, uh-huh. you know, like, uh, you know, I'm very grateful the career I have, but like uh, to be, uh, you know, kind of anointed by someone who I revere as a king was was just otherworldly, dude. Uh-huh. And then from there, he got it to Kreischer and he invited me down to his house and I stayed at Stanhope's house. And then from Kreischer, you know, Ari Shafir to uh, Mark Marin, like it was just universal. Anthony Jeselnik, like, I don't know, dude, it was it was very affirming for sure, uh-huh. and especially during that time when I wasn't getting the uh, usual affirmation that we get as comics. We're right. on stage every night and people are telling you you're good or you suck to go from not having that to because uh, of the pandemic to uh, getting it from afar was like, I don't know, dude, it was the best feeling I've ever had in my career was comedians liking this book. Yeah. Because yeah. I was always worried that they that it wasn't going to ring as true to life to them. And when they celebrated it and held it up, I was, like, very much relieved. Maybe relief was the best feeling, the way I can describe it. Yeah. Now, when you did the final edit and you got ready to publish, did you did you read this and know it was that good in your heart? I mean, I would never put anything out that I didn't think was good uh-huh. or that I wasn't proud of. Um. I was, I I had shopped this book around to like traditional publishers and they were not offering a sum of money that my agent said was worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And he was like, if you sell like 300 copies of this through your website, you'll make more money than they're offering right now. And I was like, I guess, but um, I kind of took that as like, a, maybe it wasn't good enough to be published. Uh-huh. But at the same time, having read as many books as I have, I think that it could stand, you know, against some books that have been published especially contemporary fiction, which is, uh, well, don't get me started on that. But uh, <laughs> I think that there's a lot of a lot of books that are put out now are toothless, and they're written by people with MFAs who've never lived a life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, I didn't have an education. I didn't have a college degree until May of this year when I finally got my last credits. But I had lived, and I'd lived this, and I think that um, uh, there was a truth in this, and... Um, I, I had some confidence in it, but I didn't know that it would be, uh, I don't know, universally uh, adopted and acclaimed by like comedians, uh-huh. you know. And then yeah. I'm glad that, and I, I, this sounds like I'm sounding like such a prick, but like comics did love this book, and the reason that books sold so many copies was because every comic was talking about it on their podcast for a while. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was fingers crossed it would be able to stand on its own two legs, but I didn't think that. Um, it would receive the uh, acclaim that it did. And yeah. I think that people were surprised by like the prose. I think that they thought that I could write a story, but like, I really love sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, word by word writing. Uh-huh. Um, I, I like when there's poetry in the pages and the books that I'm attracted to are definitely written by people who, uh, they're just they're just gorgeous, they're, they're, they're gorgeous wordsmiths. And yeah. I was able to take some of that stuff that I've always liked and try and adapt it to this like, dark gritty world that yeah. is road comedy yeah you definitely succeeded in that because it's it, thanks man it's i haven't been sucked in by a book like that for a long long time the that i just you know it, it's cliche but couldn't put it down and oh thank you and it was it was really it, it, it was uh it, it, it was just a punch in the gut basically you know it, it just it, it just hits you like and yeah i i knew how it was going to end um of course, it, it yeah. had to and uh mm-hmm. and 
you know, the the fact that he just got that glimmer of hope uh, was it was just crushing, just absolutely crushing. It's the big punchline, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, I I thought that I don't I don't want to give away too much, but yeah, I mean it, it had to end that way for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, yeah I didn't want to I didn't want to spoil it either. Um, let, let let's get into the stand up because uh, man, you're just a tornado on stage. And uh, is has there ever been an audience that didn't respond to you? Oh yeah, really? For sure. Yeah, really? Key West earlier this year. <laughs> okay, I did. Uh, I did a week down in Key West at uh, Comedy Key West, which uh, Tom and Tom Dustin and Joe Madouse run it. And it, like, it's just I bring my wife down there. It's the one week of the year she always takes off to go on the road with me because uh-huh. we have so much fun down there. And uh, the last night we were there, I did like seven nights of shows, and I think it was the Monday. They took us on this like uh, sunset cruise. And the boat captain is the guy who owns the club. So we drank like 13 bottles of wine between like five of us uh-huh. in like an hour and a half. <laughs> and I remember being on stage and like there were two rival boat crews in the room because it was locals night. Uh-huh. So there was like one captain with all of uh, his employees and then another captain on the other side of the room with all their employees. And they didn't get along. So like by the time, you know, and like God bless him, Tom was tanked too. Um, the feature was tanked. We had a nice, long, beautiful day. <laughs> I got up there. And I had to like, I was trying to do my thing and they were like mad. I think they were just simmering discontent, like, you know, old bad blood between these two crews. And one of the boat captains like wouldn't shut up. So I had to tell him, I was like, eventually like, dude, you got to go. So Joe removed him. And then now both rival sea captain, and now the crews are both mad at me because uh-huh. there's some kind of like, uh, you know, honor amongst boat yeah. people. <laughs> so the whole room was furious now. Uh, so I'm like trying to do crowd work. You know, and I say, uh, ma'am, have you ever been pregnant? Which is, you know, and my wife, I hear someone in the crowd yell out, you have no, you have no right to ask her that. How dare you ask her that? And I look out and it was my wife uh-huh. yelling at me. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was a bloodbath. By the end of it, uh, Joe was in the back of the room just yelling, tell a joke, Sam, just tell a joke. Like Rocky's <laughs> trainer throwing in the towel. <laughs> Yeah, man, when they're, when, they're not, when they're not into, like, goofing around and, uh, you know, I guess being playful, it can be it can be a bloodbath. I think I figured out how to mitigate that response. Um, it's like, that's just the job is figuring out how not to bomb. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think I figured it out for the most part, but it still happens. And when it happens and you don't have, like, a great catalog of jokes to fall back on, it's very difficult <laughs> to keep your head above water. <laughs> So how I, do I you out that I put out a special and it was like I burn all that material. So now yeah. I'm like very, very uh uh dedicated to not doing any old stuff. So I have like probably twenty to thirty minutes of like actual jokes that work, but coming out of pandemic, like trying to figure out how to I had to start over. I didn't have an act because the special came out uh-huh. during the pandemic. So yeah, man, it, it's uh it's been it's been a steep learning curve. Yeah. So how do you pivot? If if you get into a situation like that, if you figure it out, what what are you gonna do? I mean, self deprecation, agreeing with them, yeah. trying to extrapolate on why they don't like me, and then they're like, you know, and like uh, validating yeah. those feelings that they have. Uh, that's typically a good defense mechanism. That's good. That's good. So when you started out, were you how you are now? No, no. I started out doing like improv, like uh, 
um like long form and short short form improv mm. and I, I tried stand up and i thought that like when you did stand up you had to have jokes i didn't think that they wanted you to improvise i thought if you went up there and you didn't just have like you know 10 minutes of material that was written word for word you weren't doing what they requested of you so yeah i was like uh i was pretty much like hardline joke teller for the uh -huh. first like five years of my career until i figured out how to kind of like use the crowd as a scene partner and improvise and that kind of thing uh-huh are you yeah do you feel like this is you on stage now and you're more comfortable and you're more happy with your with your performance when you're doing what you do now yeah for sure and i mean like i think that you get addicted to killing you know um like you have to crush mm -hmm. because the better you get at stand-up uh the higher the bar should be i think you have to like your self-imposed like you know metric of how, how how well it's going so there was like probably four years like 29 like up until the pandemic of like okay i have this like bulletproof 45 to 50 minutes i know it kills everywhere i go so i'm gonna do it and i'm just gonna like pulverize these crowds um and i think having that time off during the pandemic allowed me to like reflect on well i guess you can just like keep doing this stuff but I don't know if I got the same thrill out of it that mm -hmm. I was getting when I was, when I would improvise during shorter sets. Um, so yeah, now I'm like trying to figure out the fine line because people now are coming to like two shows. They'll come to like the early show and the late show. So now I have this pressure to, I don't know, give them a second show. Uh, so yeah, I don't know, dude. I'm sorry. I get all rambly. I'm no, sorry. No. I hate, I hate like self-reflection on comedy. It seems very masturbatory, but Yes, I'm happier doing this. That, that, that's answer. what this podcast is about. So, okay, <laughs> you're supposed to talk more. I'm supposed to talk less. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, you know what? What I see you do. It's funny because you're probably my 136th interview, and I've talked to everybody from, you know, the old old school folks. I love to talk to the old school folks because I'm old yeah, me school. Too. Um, yeah to, um, you know, the, the hot new ones, to folks that are just working the road. And um, based on everything, you know, I ask advice and stuff like that. And based on everything that I hear from a lot of the old school folks is you just break all the rules. Every, everything that is supposed to be done in comedy, um, you, you, you stray away from that and do your own thing. Did you, as you were, as you were getting into this, this, uh, guy that's on stage now, did you have any comedians say, Hey, you, you really need to have, you really need to have jokes. You need to have a set list. You need, you need to, uh, not, not attack the audience like you do. No, I think that was the best part of coming up in Denver is we had like the old guard and then we had like the, uh, the class, like right above me. I mean, it was crazy. Like green rooms in Denver would be Chuck Roy. Uh, it would be Rick Kearns and then Ben Kronberg and Ben Roy and Adam Kate and Holland, uh, Nancy Norton, who just won like, you know, both the Seattle and the Boston comedy festival. Mm. These were the people who were in the green room when you did new talent night on Tuesdays. Mm. So you got this like huge, uh, uh just a, a cornucopia of different comedic stylings. And all that was encouraged in Denver was don't sound like anyone else. Ah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, uh, no, no one ever came down on me hardline. Uh, I think people, 
you know, the old the old dogs are excited to watch new tricks, I think. Uh-huh. You know? Like I think that the 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 more knowledge you see, you know, like that's the issue with being a comedian and watching comedy is like you're like, okay, that was the correct thing to say there. Yeah. Yep, that was the <laughs> twist. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. That was worth the ride. Yeah, yeah. That was a good tag right there. Okay, callback. Like we don't we see it as an autopsy. We don't see yeah. it as the actual animal on the table. So um I think that when you see like something that might be a bit different. And I mean, I'm not trying to sound like I fucking reinvented the wheel, but like, you know, uh, I'm just trying to like do things that uh, aren't maybe predictable in a mm-hmm. way. And definitely things that like maybe aren't safe. Because um, there's like, a, there's a, I don't know, trying to like always kill in a way that's safe is like, it's not as exciting to me. Yeah. And I'm trying to like be excited and the crowd can tell when you're excited and the crowd can tell when you're just like repeating things that you know work. And I think the crowds have a lot more leeway and they have a lot more give and they're willing to like go with you if they know that you're trying really hard to give them a once a show that's not going to be repeated, mm-hmm. you know, and like that's really fun for them. And it's fun for me. And uh, at the end of the night, you just want them to get their money's worth, you know, right. Next time right. you come to town, you want them to bring a friend. Yeah, that's all you can hope for is to grow your people who want to see you. Yeah. And but I guess you couldn't man, have like, got. Go ahead. Oh, so I like, I don't know, like. I think we put all this like importance into into comedy, but I don't know. Do you know John Novosad? He used to be hippie man. No. So John Novosad is one of the Denver legends, and he's like you know just a perfect joke writer. Uh-huh. And I remember opening him for him once in Wyoming, and it was two shows, and the first show he killed, and I was like so up his ass. I was like, God, you're the best, John. Like, I'm so glad to be here with you right now. Like, you just destroyed. And he was like, Well, watch my set on the second show. So I'm like, okay. So he's like 20 minutes in, he's killing. And then he says, he looks right at me and he says, hey, so uh, does anyone in the crowd remember my name? (laughs) (laughs) And no one knew his name. And he looked right at me and he said, okay, all right, back to the jokes. And they're just like going to show like how little any of this matters. Like we're just totally like a disposable piece of entertainment for the evening. Uh You know, I think that I think a lot of comedians when they're doing these bar gigs until you're selling your own tickets and people are coming to see you like, they would they would prefer if you were a cover band you know they'd prefer if you were karaoke uh-huh. uh uh-huh. yeah for the most part so yeah. yeah i was very lucky to like always be reminded in denver that you're not you don't you don't mean anything you yeah. Know? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's funny because you know I, I i see what you're doing and you were so in the moment and you look like you're having as much fun as the audience and i so I, I didn't start until I was 52. So that was yeah. like six years ago. It's always been a hobby for me. And when I started, I was like listening to all the old school advice and I was clean and, you know, it was never more than PG-13 and all the topics were pretty bright. And it was fun because people laughed. I got, you know, I, I did okay at it. People laugh. People like me. Yeah. They they said after the show it was a great set. But then I started looking inwardly, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of a hobby. This isn't something I'm going to hang my hat on. If I'm going to go on stage, I want to say what I want to say. And I'm you know I'm angry. I'm a boomer. I'm I'm mad at what my generation did to your generation. And yeah. and I'm and and I cuss a lot. So I'm just going to be me on stage and so all my material i'm kind of like in the spot where you where you are where all the stuff that went in the special well that's kind of gone now you know i've rewritten some of it 
to reflect how I am now or how I am on stage now, but a lot of it just has to go. And mm -hmm. it's, it's hard, but I feel like for me to do what I want to do up there and to be genuine, I, I have to be the angry boomer. Sure. Yeah. And I think that like finding like whatever's exciting for you. And like for some people that is like writing a perfect joke and getting up on telling it that night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that my biggest failure is uh, I work very hard, but I don't know if I have a lot of discipline. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like uh, I've never been a good joke writer. And I think I would rather like have to, you know, use my brain and every part of the Buffalo on stage every night for 45 minutes and be exhausted than just like sit down and write a damn act, yeah. which would be so much easier <laughs> and, uh, and probably better for me, uh, emotionally and mentally, but like, you know, I'd rather like write a book or, or read or go on a bike ride, uh, as opposed to like sit down and just like, Oh, this is a joke that could, I could repeat and it would work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think we're just like wired different, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're embracing uh, your true self, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, I think it's, it's important at this point. And, and the nice thing is we moved, I live in Huntsville now and Alabama? we were in South Bend, Indiana. So, you know, it's, it was a big move. So I got a new crowd and, you know, yeah. I, I can just reinvent myself and, and nobody cares. Yeah, no, I think that, uh, uh, that's great, man. I'm glad you got out of Indiana. I'll say that. <laughs> it, it's 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 definitely nice to be south. It's uh it's warmer, and I don't yeah. have to worry about. So you're in snow. Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Do you know Scott Eason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys have kind of an eerily similar look. <laughs> I'll tell him. I'm sure that more than one person has been like, oh, I love Scott. He's so funny. And they thought that they were talking about you or vice versa. Yeah. You know, the different Scots. <laughs> <laughs> I love Eason, though. He's a good dude. He was at the, I think, the second open. He hosted the second open mic I did here. And I'm not one of those guys that sucks up to the host. <clears throat> so yeah. he didn't know who I was. I just put my name on the list and had a beer. And when I went up, I did my kill material because I had to pee right. in the corn. You know, I had to, you know, make sure everybody knew that I wasn't just some dude that uh, walked off the street and yeah, it's prison rules. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so uh, at the end of it, I, I don't remember what he said. He said something like, Oh, you're a real comedian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that went well. So yeah. yeah. One time I did a show in Huntsville uh, at a place I think called the page and it was under an overpass. Okay. This was maybe nine or ten years ago. But I remember, like, uh, not a lot of people came, and Scott was like, hey, man, I'm sorry. Uh, there's not a lot of money, but he said you can have another chicken sandwich if you want. <laughs> <laughs> and back then, that chicken sandwich, that was a big deal. I was yeah. like, thanks, man, thanks. And he's like, you were funny, dude. I'm sorry no one came. But uh, uh -huh. Kitchen says, chicken sandwiches are on them. <laughs> Did have you always had this quick wit that you can just roll with whatever's said to you and you come up with something funny, like right on the spot? Is that, did that come from the improv training or is that just something that's, that's part of you? I don't know, man. I think that like, even when I fail to say something funny, I'll say something honest or maybe yeah. insightful in that moment, or uh -huh. at least there's like some empathy to it. And I think that in improv, they always teach you don't go for the joke, like find the relationship, like uh -huh. find the thing that's like, uh, 
that's deeper than surface, something that you can build upon. And I think that that was very good for me because now when, you know, there's someone who's a bit obstinate in the crowd who maybe isn't so eager to laugh, you can try and like talk to them directly while on stage and at mm -hmm. least like show that you understand their position as mm -hmm. opposed to, um, you know, doing the classic like crowd work, like, oh, what's the matter with this guy kind of thing, you uh -huh. know? And I think that like there's this like prevalence in 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 comedy now of uh, the crowd work clips that we're just like yeah in, inundated with like we're like just buried in this like constant you know comedian destroys heckler or like first date gone wrong like all these clips that feed the algorithm. I think that the bar has been set tremendously low for what decent crowd work is, mm -hmm. and now comics or I mean like crowd members will come up to me after the show and they'll be like I love your crowd work I love the way that you do it different and it's like how do you know that term. You're a person who like barely sees comedy. Why do you know it's called crowd work? And uh. It's because of these damn clips. So I think that like in order to uh, maintain some kind of rele relevancy in like the realm of crowd work, you kind of have to like try and push it past. It's like, you know, the most logical base response that you might have. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to like do it a little bit different than um, other people are, right. I guess. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, like, there, there's geniuses at it. Harlan Williams, Ian Bag, like these guys yeah. are really good at comedy. Yeah, and I love watching uh, that kind of thing. But then the issue is, is when you watch Ian Bag the second or third show, you're like, oh, he just has a million lines. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, like no matter who's presented in front of him, he just has a million lines for every different situation. Yeah, which we're all guilty of. But when you can try and like kind of like push past those like initial impulses, like the line that, you know, works whenever a woman with a red hat is in the front row, uh -huh. you know, like that's when the exciting like that's when like the marrow of the bone presents itself. And that's right. where the most sustenance is. And there's there's definitely. I can definitely tell from your performances that you aren't pulling from a whole bunch of stuff that you are ready for you're sure you're you're it, it's evident that you're in the moment and you're not you're not steering your crowd work to elicit something that you know is going to be funny yeah trying to steer it into a bit or something yeah and again, there's nothing wrong with that like right. anytime that a comedian makes a crowd laugh they've done their job right and yeah. they should be you know uh, applauded for doing so i don't want to pretend like my way is better than any other way uh, it's just like, this is the way that I like to do it. And this is like the most exciting way for me to do mm -hmm. it. The most joyful way for me to do it. Speaking about the clips and content creation in general. So it's, you know, it's all over the place. I can't, I, I can't look at social media without seeing, you know, either, either a quick clip or the crowd work or the heckler or whatever. How do yeah. you think that is affecting comedy in general? I don't know, man. I I sound like a, I'm a thousand years old whenever I talk about this subject, but <laughs> I I don't think that it's uh it, it, it's a double edged sword, right? So like it's good for comedy that people are watching more comedy because mm -hmm. they are like these clips are presenting them with more opportunities to see comedy and they take it in whether it be in thirty second, sixty second nuggets. Like okay, so they're the cultural vocabulary for comedy is going up, and like mm -hmm. that should be good long term for comedians. But the kind of comedy that's being celebrated and being rewarded by the likes and the comment system, I don't know if that's the kind of comedy that we should be, uh, not that we should be, but I don't know if that's the kind of shit that like, uh, I'm sorry, can I swear on here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just don't know, like, if that's what we're like teaching crowds to uh, expect mm -hmm. and or 
kind of like molding them into thinking like that is good comedy. I don't know if that's good for comedy as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's this like Ouroboros of like a snake eating its own ass of like, okay, people are excited for comedy, but they're excited for this kind of comedy. Uh And then they go out expecting this kind of comedy. And when they don't get that kind of comedy, then they don't like comedy again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it's this big, this big Ferris wheel of expectation and the expectation is not being met. Uh Um, So yeah, I don't know, dude. I, uh, I want to say that it's probably good, but at the same time, I think it's a creating, um, a crowd member who wants to interact with the audience or wants to interact with the comedian. And now when you uh, try and talk to a comedian or try and talk to an audience, they expect that you're trying to create content from it. Mm -hmm. So either they'll be stone faced or they'll be sitting there the whole time. Like, you know, if you talk to the table on the right, I've experienced the table on the left is waiting for you to come over and talk to them. And when you do, they have what they think is a witty rejoinder or they have, um, (laughs) they have a great joke ready to go. And they're just sitting there so eager to say this thing when you talk to them that they're A, not present, they're uh-huh. B, not engaged in the show, and C, whatever they say is always going to sound so stupid. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a, yeah. the, the, the joke that the crowd comes up with that they think is going to feed you, it's like, I just need you to be yourself, and I'll talk to you, and I'm not going to exploit you, you yeah. know? Yeah. But at the same time, like, don't just sit there trying to, you know, gotcha me with something you think, you know, Oh, you, you, you go to talk to a woman and the husband's so eager to tell you some like dark, vile secret of hers. And then it just turns off the whole room. You're like, oh, why would you say that to a stranger? What's the matter with you? <laughs> I get paid to do this. You should, you should just enjoy the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, just like if I ask you, like, what do you do or where are you from? Don't be like, you know, what do I do with him? Where am I from? The toilet. You know, it's like, no, that's terrible. <laughs> you're not from the toilet. I know you're not from the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah dude i don't know i don't know if it's uh we'll see you know we'll see i think social media in general is very bad for anyone whose brain works <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah i uh i take uh frequent breaks from it just just because i can't and i'll I'll just post my podcast and get off and uh yeah it's yeah. it's uh it's definitely just a quagmire of shit. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's not good. So and also like I'm very guilty of uh, not uh, doing the. I'm not the best at like business uh, or like making the decisions because you know I remember when I was starting comedy and uh, people were like, "Get your YouTube together," and I was like, "Well, who cares?" And then we're like, "Well, get big on Twitter," and I was like, "I don't enjoy Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, I can tell this is a waste of time." Mm-hmm. You know, and then like people got careers off of Twitter and then they were like, okay, well, uh, now you need to, uh, build your Instagram following. And I was like, well, that, that doesn't interest me, you know? (laughs) And now you see people who are, uh, maybe not as skilled or, uh, or maybe they don't have the, uh, the, the chops or like the, uh, the years under their belt of experience that other Mm -hmm. people have, but because they were so, um, on the forefront of, uh, adapting digitally, they're rewarded and their careers are good and good for them. But it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to sit at my computer all day and like think up new one minute sketches. I don't want to just keep feeding pieces of myself or my attention into this buzzsaw that is social media. Um, And you know, I'll probably, I probably won't sell as many tickets as people who do that, but at least my days are like uh, my own, you know, I didn't, I didn't get into stand up to have a job. Yeah. And like, you have to have like eight jobs now to be a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So again, like I, again, don't, 
don't listen too much to me because uh, I could have made a lot better decisions coming up, but uh, instead I wanted to learn how to like cook delicious curries yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and uh, get pre- become a scratch Frisbee golf player, you know? <laughs> oh, my son loves Frisbee golf. Yeah, it's fun, yeah. man. You should get out there and play with the boy. Yeah, yeah. I it's just it's just a way to walk around the park. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I uh yeah, I've never gone with him. Yeah. Oh, it's a hoot, man. I mean, you eat one of those edibles, go outside with your boy, whip that disc around. Uh-huh. You'll you'll see you'll see how beautiful every leaf is on that tree. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So what do you do in preparation for a show? just you know do you have like a routine do you do you have anything uh the that gets you ready for the show or do you just jump in and do it uh i like to i'm i like to get to the venue an hour early if maybe i mean a half hour early is my preference like before the show starts Mm -hmm. so i can pace nervously until the minute i go on stage Mm -hmm. uh i i don't i've never I don't know. I always thought it'd be easier when people were coming to see you, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> like you'd have more confidence, but now like they like you and you don't want to disappoint them. So uh-huh. I feel like this immense pressure on me now to do very well. Uh-huh. Um, as opposed to back in the day when it was just strangers and the room was papered, you know, if you made them laugh, like that was, that exceeded their expectations Yeah, and it was easier. But now when they're out there to see you and they bring their friends, you're like, Oh God, <laughs> Oh no. So yeah, it's a lot of pacing. Um, I like to have a sugar-free Red Bull and uh, one to three Miller Lights before I go on stage. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that's about it, man. I mean, the worst part of stand-up now is like trying to avoid being hungover. Uh-huh. You know, like uh, I, I've learned not to drink on Thursday night because you can't go into Friday hungover because on <laughs> Friday then you have to drink to beat that hangover and then on saturday you have two days accumulative hangover and you're like oh god so yeah um i don't take shots anymore um yeah but it's i wish i had like more of a wish i had more of some kind of regimen that i abided by but no it's just pacing Uh just active pacing until they say my name so you still get jitters oh 100 percent. that's great that's great yeah 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 i i mean again like I think that if you have like a bulletproof 45 minutes, you probably abate the jitters a bit, a little bit, you know, Mm. but no, when I'm trying to go up there and talk about my day and do crowd work, it's like, Oh God, is my brain going to work? Yeah. You know? (laughs) So you've got fans. What, what does a typical fan of yours look like? Um, not look like, what are they like? I mean, (laughs) I don't know, dude. It's weird. Um, because like what it's really hard for me to quantify what a typical fan is because people now are coming from the book uh-huh. as well as they're coming from my standup uh-huh. and like my podcast appearances. So when people come out to see me, um, you can have everyone from like, you know, hardworking blue collar people who are out to, you know, drink a bunch of Bud Lights uh-huh. and, uh, you know, get pretty sleepy by the end of the show to um people who really enjoy the work of cormac mccarthy and dennis johnson (laughs) and um and fell in love with my book and then they come out and they're sitting next to these people who are uh clearly on mushrooms like i'm very i'm very grateful that my demographics are uh are pretty sweeping Uh and uh it's pretty tough to like nail down uh i I don't know because like you know 
there's a lot of people who have a uh you know like a an, an older frat boy audience and i have those people and they're great and they want to come out and just have a good time and drink and uh and then there's people who um have maybe never been to a comedy show before or if they have they've only been to see mark Marin or maria bamford mm -hmm. but because people they respect like my book they're coming out so it's this it's a big cross-section yeah of this big beautiful country of ours and uh learning to entertain all of them and meet all their expectations has been very like uh it's been very good for me uh -huh. as a person who uh who does comedy yeah you know yeah yeah i mean the other like i, I was at looney's comedy corner excuse me in colorado springs this last weekend and uh they're one of the first clubs to ever headline me so like i love those guys but i was never a big ticket seller down there but this weekend we sold out two of the shows and the other two shows were like damn near close uh -huh. and uh you know so there's the big middle pit area of the room and there's about 150 200 people in the middle then they have risers on the right and the left and they're elevated mm -hmm. and those are the vip seats and uh on the early show saturday i walk on stage and on the left side of the stage is the sons of silence motorcycle gang and they're okay. there full patched up uh -huh. okay and on the other side of the room was uh was my brother-in-law's family uh and he's a he's a beautiful black man so there was 25 very fly very well put together black people uh -huh. and my sister <laughs> and whenever i do it whenever i told a joke and uh the motorcycle guys lagged it they barked like dogs <laughs> so i would say a joke and they would laugh and they'd go and i do a joke about the posture of an aryan brotherhood member and when i i told this joke just to see if the bikers would uh like it too much uh -huh. you know uh -huh. and sure enough i said aryan brotherhood and they started barking and i was like no bad. and i had i had this whole like interplay of like apologizing for the bikers to my family and uh and then also threatening the bikers and telling them i was going to beat them up uh <laughs> calling them motor boys like it was it was just it was this fun <laughs> this fun dichotomy that was created and i think that that dichotomy dichotomy exists a lot in uh in the shows that i do yeah 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 that's like it's it's like bringing people together you know you know they uh oh, yeah. they, they had a better understanding of each other after the show than when they walked in i don't know if there's a better understanding but at least they shared the same space for 90 minutes yeah you yeah. know what i mean uh, at least they were all in the same room yeah and they were all laughing at the same thing yeah. for 90 minutes yeah but uh yeah i think that if you can figure out how to make the motorcycle gang laugh at the copper wire stealing jokes and then also <laughs> make like uh you know the erudite uh young uh you know black professionals laugh if you can make all those check all those boxes i think you're doing a good job uh, that's great so yeah. what's the best piece of advice you ever got um ever got best piece of advice i ever got i don't know i i i um i admired a comic who was very much uh in the moment and very good at improvising and he told me that it was his goal to um have his sets be traded like grateful dead um tapes where he was uh -huh. like yeah i want people to like you know get on forums and be like you know i've got uh kansas city november <laughs> 2017 does anyone have syracuse february uh 2019 uh-huh i've always liked that idea of like the shows that i do being like you have to be in the room for that uh that that show to see that show yeah 
Uh, so I admired that. But then I also, I heard a piece of advice where it's like every time, every night that you take off, someone's getting funnier than you, Ah, you know? So like every, and like, I took that to heart very sincerely though, you know, this is the second, third, fourth years I was out. Cause I, I did stand up every night mm-hmm. to the detriment of my health and my interpersonal relationships and often my housing situation. Uh, <laughs> I was at shows every night, you know, and I, I remember there was a comic name, I think Sammy obeyed who did something where he did stand up 365 days in a row. Uh-huh. I remember hearing that being so pissed because I was like, where did he get up during Christmas? Yeah. You know, like Christmas <laughs> night, where did he get up? Easter, where did he perform? And I remember I asked him that later on because, like, you know, I got the memory of an angry elephant. I uh-huh. just have this chip on my shoulder because I'm so <laughs> hyper competitive. And I was like, so hey, when you do that whole one year straight stunt, where did you get up on Christmas? And he was like, oh, I just like, uh, went to a restaurant and stood on a table and asked if anyone wanted to hear any jokes. And I was like, oh, so you were ambushing these people. Does that count? <laughs> but yeah, no nights off. And I mean, I think that that's like, you know, I definitely, <clears throat> I'm on the road every weekend and I still abide by that ethos. But when I'm home now, it's like, I want to hang out with my wife and yeah. uh, make sure that my marriage is is solid because yeah. I very much value being a good husband or a good son or a good brother or a good friend more than I uh, want to be like a good comedian. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. And you, you've already achieved the the great comedian status. So you just have, well, to that's, I wouldn't, that. I wouldn't say great. I think that I can, you know, I can do the job. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you do well. Um, so this is, this is the part of the show that's relatively new that I like to call, is this anything? Um, and this is, uh, where, uh, and if you didn't bring one, that's fine. Where we bring a joke, a bit, a premise or something that we want to work out and, uh, bounce it off each other and see if we can come up with something. And okay. since, since you're the, All right. was that in the show notes? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, it. it's totally cool. Um, okay. if, if you've got something you're working on, that's great. Um, okay. I, I brought a short one. Um, so you can decide who goes first, either me or you. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of a little joke inside of a bigger bit that I'm working out. Um, okay. Uh, I knew I knew that my kids became more sophisticated than me when they started pronouncing the T and often. Like, hey, Dad, how often are you going to hit us up for money? In my house, it's often with no T, and I only hit you up for money as often as I need to post bail. I love it. That's it. I love that. I love those very small observations. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like that's a thought that I've never, ever had before. But <laughs> I, be, I feel like subconsciously I've had that thought. When people hit that T, uh-huh. you know that they're putting on airs. You know they used to summer somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they probably had like, uh, they probably had an au pair. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So yeah. Yeah, I love that, man. <laughs> that's good. Your, your kid's hitting the T and it's pissing you off. Yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where'd you learn that? Where'd you learn that, boy? <laughs> Out on the Frisbee golf course? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was funny because I noticed it, so I looked it up, and it it really is uh, in uh, in Great Britain. It is like a sign of being higher class. Dignity. If, yeah. Yeah. If if you Dignified. pronounce it, yeah, 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 more yeah. dig, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I. It's uh, that's one that's been rolling around forever, and it, hopefully, it's going to be part of a bigger bit. But I, I just, uh, I, I, I thought it was uh, kind of a weird take, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird too because, like, um, 
a big signifier uh, of people learning English as a second language is they don't use contractions. Mm -hmm. So they say cannot, do not, instead of abbreviations. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny that in, in England they're like putting the T in real hard. Yeah. You know, they're adding a T where yeah. it's not necessary. Yeah, I like that thing, man. It's good. <laughs> Thank you. You yeah, got anything? Yeah. Or you don't have I to. I got a bit. Well, I have a bit that's been, uh, it's been very exciting to try and figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. But uh, it it's it's hard to set up because people get turned off by the premise. But it's um, it's like you know you see you see a young kid in the crowd and you know you know, you talk you talk to him and then you, it's just this whole thing that they like they they said that they got rid of bullying. You know, like that was like a big campaign for a lot of, I think it was, you know, first ladies and stuff. They're like, uh -huh. we're going to eradicate bullying. And, uh, but now that they've gotten rid of bullying, the kids don't have to fear anything except for school shootings. So, um, my take on it is, you know, and I think that's good, but honestly, I was depanced once in fourth grade, uh, <laughs> and you know, they got the shorts and the underwear, uh and everyone at the Denver Art Museum on that field trip saw my little tiny penis. And I tell you what, I would have rather been shot in the damn head. <laughs> <laughs> I would have rather suffered a pipe bombing <laughs> than have everyone see my little boy, my little pubeless boy penis. Uh. You know? So yeah, trying to get into that uh, is has been is proven a bit difficult to uh, <laughs> to, to maneuver, but it's fun to to try and figure out how yeah. to do it. <laughs> I, yeah. I I like that, and I I think that would hit. Have you tried it on stage? Well, yeah, I've tried it. I've tried it like probably six times at this point, uh -huh. and it's just I, I you know I was in Colorado Springs this weekend, and uh, and the weekend before was that uh, was that violent atrocity uh -huh. uh, at the at the gay bar, so like uh, I I did not try it in Colorado Springs, yeah. you know. And I just, it's just like uh, random violence has touched so many Americans and yeah. to uh, remind them of uh, of that. That's not, I'd, I'd rather like not be able to do that funny joke than bum someone out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm never worried if people think I'm smart or perceptive. I just want them to laugh as much as they possibly can. Right. But right. Yeah. I know that's a damn good joke. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and the the only problem is it's always too soon because it oh, happens sure. too yeah. much yeah yeah but i mean like i feel like if i can get to the point where maybe 60% of the people to see me are there because they like me or they know that like i don't you know they're they're familiar with my comedy yeah i could pull that off but i'm right in that weird uh situation where it's like you know 50% 40% fans and then still like people who are just going out to see a night of comedy yeah so uh yeah i think that if i was um hundred percent like my tickets being sold uh -huh. i could probably pull that off yeah i look forward to the day when i when i can dust off that old gem yeah yeah <laughs> i i really really like it yeah it's uh it, and you're right if they don't know you if they don't it, it would have to be later in the set when they know where you're coming from and know who you are and then yeah, uh, yeah. that's yeah. definitely a check drop bit yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh yeah that was uh, yeah i would i would definitely laugh at that that's a good one um so sam where can folks find you online and um and all that stuff uh my website samtalent.com t-a-l-l-e-n-t has all my tour dates and you can buy my novel and uh you can buy my t-shirt on there 
um, at Sam Talent on Instagram if you want more of a uh, day-to-day uh, situation. I, I don't really care about Twitter at all. I don't have a TikTok because uh, I, feel, I feel like there's something pedophilic about it. You know, <laughs> if, I, if I had a TikTok, <laughs> I feel like, you know, I'd be on a watch list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, just uh, at you know at Sam Talent on Instagram and samtalent.com. I also have a podcast called Chubby Behemoth, which uh, yeah. is a lot of fun with my co-host Nathan Lund. Uh-huh. We just try to be funny for an hour uh, once a week. And then there's a Patreon if you want an ep- extra episode. You know, just the classic trappings of a modern comedian. All right, great. Yeah. Well, it's oh, been- go hey, ahead. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be at Zany's in Chicago, December 9th and 10th. All right, all right. Nice. I'm trying to sell those out. Cause I, 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 it's not even for my, I just, I just like the power, Yeah, you know, I just get off on the power of it. So yeah, uh, you know, it would definitely help me if, uh, if, if you guys would come see me in Chicago, December 9th and 10th at Zany's downtown. You're in Tuscaloosa in February, second, third. Yeah. I think so. I think this, I think the second or the third. I can't okay. remember. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm going to try to go to that because, uh, yeah, Tuscaloosa yeah, is just a couple hours from here. So yeah. Oh, I know, dude. I know yeah. all about it. Yeah, the T town a lot. <laughs> yeah, I love Birmingham. I love Tuscaloosa. I love Huntsville. I love Mobile even. But man, Montgomery, what yeah. the hell happened there? <laughs> well, they get, they had that song, and you know they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. John Prime, John Prime just <laughs> fucked it for him. So <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, one more question. You seem like sure. a music guy. What what music are you listening to these days? Uh, man, I wish I could say that I was, uh, listening to a lot of music these days. I've been listening to a lot of books on tapes and podcasts. Uh Um, but, uh, oh, I, I just turned my little cousin Henry onto the oblivions there out of Memphis. There's like classic rock and roll, uh, uh, the revelators out of Missouri, more classic rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I like that, like, you know, four on the floor stomping music uh-huh. they would uh you know make a lot of people I, I like i like i like music that sounds like elvis if he was on pcp yeah 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 mm-hmm. have you ever heard of uh hillbilly casino no i have not check them out that is definitely elvis on pcp okay yeah and the really billy casino yeah so they're um a band that i like and i think you'd like them too it's a duo it's just uh it's kind of a white stripes type deal but better um it's uh called they're called volk yeah i think so um okay they're called volk uh v-o-l-k and they're out of nashville and they um they were on the tour with hillbilly casino and the delta bombers so we saw them in nashville (laughs) and uh and i've seen them quite a few times because uh um their record labels in indianapolis so they they go there for the record label stuff but uh they're just fantastic they're like um rockabilly punk and uh i love that i love that really good stuff stuff. yeah Yeah. i'll I'll, I'll send you some links i think maybe i'll make you a mixtape uh my spotify mixtape level yeah i i do i do that kind of stuff so yeah i love it man yeah turn me on (laughs) yeah turn me on daddy scott (laughs) excellent well thanks so much for being on the show it was great to get to know you and and the book like i said is just fantastic Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. And thank you for, uh, you know, telling your people about the book previous yeah. to us meeting. Yeah. I yeah. I had to, <laughs> it was, it was necessary. <laughs> thank you, dude. Thanks. I can't say it often enough. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>